Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I am Jason, and today I think I'm a Jedi. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. I'm Jenny. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. I'm Dave. I am a person in long-term recovery and a novice Zen priest. Dave's been with us before when we did an episode about meditation. Yes. Uh, so if you enjoy this episode, maybe go back and listen to Dave. Uh, today we're going to talk about the dark side. You know, not Darth Vader, but the dark side of life. And I don't exactly completely know where we're going. So Dave's here to teach us and I'm going to let him go. Well, for me to teach, I think that everybody in this room, you know, being in recovery, we've had to take a look at the dark side. Uh, That's one of the things I love about um, 12-step program. And one of the things I love about Zen, too, is they both have a big focus on looking at the shit. If we don't address the problems, look at our disease, you know, and look at our delusion, um, look at our pain, then we're not going to grow. So there's a concept called spiritual bypassing coined by John Wellwood, who was a clinical psychologist. He wrote a bunch of books. They're all great. I haven't read them all, but um, a couple of them. And uh, one of his most famous ones is called uh, Towards a Psychology of Awakening by John Wellwood. And that's where he... I believe that's the first place he coined the term term spiritual bypassing um, in the 80s. So spiritual bypassing is something that we can all do. We have all done. I'm sure of it. And some people may do it more than others. Some people may get wrapped up in it more than others. Uh, I get wrapped up in it. Um, Spiritual bypassing is a way to use spirituality incorrectly, I suppose. It's a way to, to... not look at the mess, to not sit there and be with the darkness, with the pain. It's a way to use spirituality as a form of premature transcendence. Now that I'm doing this spiritual practice, I can attach to a sort of spiritual way of being. Think about a surface spiritual way of being. Think about, I don't know, I don't want to call any stereotypes out i suppose (laughs) you could think about you know certain maybe teachers certain communities where you know folks will get really attached to this idea of being spiritual and ignore looking at the shit and i i was asked to come up with a topic for this and i was like you know let's let's talk about the dark side Mm. so i'm a zen buddhist priest and my teacher is Shuzen Roshi from Soji Zen Center. And I also host a meditation group locally in Cecil County called Empty Circle Meditation. My teacher, one of the things that really attracted me to my Zen teacher is he really wants to push us to look at the dark side of ourselves, to look at the shadow self, you know, the Jungian thing, where um, this, this is the part of ourselves that we want to get rid of. We don't want to look at because it's really hard and it causes pain. 
to look at this. So my teacher is kind of famous in our Sangha. Sangha is a group. Um, it's a Zen group, I suppose. And for saying, we need to go to the dark side, folks. He says things also like, you, uh, if you want to, if you don't come to Zen to feel good, if you want to feel good, go exercise more, get a pet, go get a massage. If you want to feel good, we're here to, to seek the truth. We're here to see the truth of ourselves. And we can't see the truth in ourselves unless we look at our whole self. And that includes the really dark, hard, painful things. What I love about 12-step programs is that is built into it. Of course, we start with step one. We're starting to identify our disease, look at our disease, the different parts of our disease, how it manifests through denial and uh, substitution and, and the rest of it. And we... You know, especially in step four, obviously, we're really making that list. We're facing that. It, it's pretty classic to hear everybody share about, at some point, their experience with step four. Where step four was this grueling process, and it hurt. And you can hear some, oftentimes, like newer folks who are going through things the first time, and they're like, oh, I'm just going, I'm writing on step four right now. And they're saying that a lot. And People kind of give them a break. They're like, oh, we get it. We get it. Just keep going. You know, it's okay. Um, just keep going through it. And we get to step five where we share and examine the exact nature of our wrongs. And that one was really special to me because that was, I'm going to say it, it is a spiritual bitch slap. You know, it's a, it's, I made a list of all these things in step four, a lot. Uh, like of detail or just going through it going through it and then step five is like no it's not all, okay all those details are what it is but that's just being dishonest that's just uh being self-centered so it just kind of slaps it out of you right so you can write pages and pages on this dark stuff but what is it it's nature I think one of the fascinating things for me as you've been talking just now is that like I've always looked at spiritual bypassing as a way around a thing. You know, mm -hmm. you talk about bypass, that's what I think of. And yet the first thing I thought of when you were saying it was like half of the cliches that we have in, in twelve step groups. I was like, Oh yeah, they all sound like spiritual bypassing. But then what I was thinking about, like there is kind of a deeper truth and wisdom to a lot of them at the same time. So it's almost like the spiritual bypassing is not so much what is said or what is done, but it's not the whole picture, right? Does does God got this? If that's your belief, sure. Yeah, God's got this. But there's also another piece in there of like, this fucking hurts and I don't like it, right? Or, you know, does time take time? Sure, time takes time. That's a real thing. But right now it fucking hurts, <laughs> you know, and it's almost just ignoring half of the picture. It's not so much that we're I guess we're going around that half of the picture, the, the darker half, like you're saying. I think that's important. I think, too, I think it depends who's wielding the expression. Like some people will say, God's got this, and it's totally dismissive. But then some people say, God's got this, let's go deeper. You know, it depends who's wielding and how they're right. wielding the phrase. Yeah, if you come to me, Jenny, and you're like, I, I just, I'm really feeling like shit about myself, and I really just don't like myself. And I'm like, well, God don't make no junk, Jenny. You're fine, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that is spiritual by hundred percent. Right. Right. You're good. Full. <laughs> okay, but what about Jenny's problem right now? Yeah. Okay, and, and that is a form of running from it. Mm. That is aversion. And one of the things about 12-step program, 
we look at our we look at addiction attachment to things and do we look at aversion to things we might we look at aversion to responsibility mm-hmm. running from that i think we do a pretty good job of that sometimes i think people can get just wrapped up into you know being attached and dealing with attachment or addiction whereas aversion is just as bad well and you know part of this uh, i think is societally stigmatized into us right because when we're using people are like oh you just need to clean your act up you just need to stop the drugs you just need to get a job and you just need to do these things and so when i came in it was really more about let me do these outside looking right things that people have been telling me for years as opposed to let me really look at what's going on inside of me, right? I didn't want the reality. And I and I find that a lot in my work today. People hold on to this idea that they're good people. And they're afraid to look at their thoughts and feelings about things because that might not translate into this idea that they are good people, uh, which is it's hard to convince them sometimes that, like, that whole good and bad thing's made up. Very good point. <laughs> For me, it seems like the spiritual bypassing is like people that worked maybe a fourth and fifth step, like they're willing to say like, oh, this bad things happen. But then they don't take the like corrective action or responsibility involved in like six, seven, eight, nine, where you actually look at, all right, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why is this behavior keep repeating in my life? You know, what harms have I caused? How do I take ownership of that stuff? I mean, for some of us, it's real easy for me to look at like the carnage of my life, you know, and be like, oh, I did that. But then if I just excuse it or make rational explanations for it and don't take ownership and corrective action, then it's kind of pointless, you know, to just to acknowledge harm without being willing to do anything about it is pretty dismissive of someone else's pain, you know, like like blaming it on the. Uh... The fact you're an addict, almost. Yeah. Like, I did this harm, but it's because I'm an addict. There's nothing right. else I could have done about it. Is that spiritual bypassing or some other bypassing? I think that's spiritual <laughs> that's bypassing. A lot of bypassing. <laughs> that's spiritual bypassing, in my opinion. I think that's a good point you brought up about the cliches, too. We can definitely use those in an insensitive way. Mm-hmm. This too shall pass. Right. And yeah. we just if we just leave it there, then what we're trying to do is just focus on the end. Right. when the pain goes away and what's going to happen is our response to that pain in that moment is going to we're going to reinforce that response it's going to get stronger we're not going to learn how to respond or just be with the pain simply just being with whatever's happening truly not trying to change it not trying to embellish it not trying to run from it really sitting there and just feel it and see what happens it's meeting the pain right there that's one of the things i love about zen is you just sit on a cushion stare at the freaking floor (laughs) stare at a wall do it all day do it for half an hour do it for 10 minutes or whatever and you look at it and okay this this too shall pass but what am i going to do with it now Hmm. it's interesting i'm always fascinated and i'm always like man did i not get what i was supposed to get out of these steps when people say oh this step work guides us into doing work like this and i feel like it's been some outside of 12 step practices that have really helped me to be more comfortable with the idea that i'm 
not a good person all the time or that I have these other pieces of me. Like even going through the steps, I still felt like I spent a lot of time trying to be this good person, right? Like I, and and doing the running from, right? Mm-hmm. There might be that feeling inside that I would much rather be doing whatever the fuck it is I wanted. To. We talked <laughs> about last episode where I made a good decision where I turned off my video game and played with my two-year-old outside, right? <laughs> That's not always the decision <laughs> I make, but I, I, I run from this idea, right? I give excuses or justifications or I rationalize why I'm owed this video game time and she, children are resilient. She'll be fine, right? But... I don't want to look at the fact that, you know what? Sometimes I don't want to fucking deal with being a dad. That's part of me. Just as much as a part of me as the part that says, I love being a father and I really can't wait to go play with my kids and have a hug with them. And it's like, I have been much more through other practices outside of 12 step, more comfortable with just owning what is real for me. Right. Uh, You know, I, like to escape in the female form, right? I, I dumb it down and say I like boobies, but whatever. Like, I don't have to walk around living in shame or running from this idea that this is part of me. Whether this is a biological male part, whether this is just something I do, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. It's okay. And I have actually felt way more growth towards being who I want to be, allowing me to be where I'm at than I ever have when I ran from it. Everybody stop talking. No, that's a great point. <laughs> that's not, that's a way to not spiritual bypass. I think that's really important. I like that you brought up things out outside of, I guess, recovery. Is that right? I mean, yeah. it's all kind of recovery. Yes. Right. But outside they, of our typical recovery. And, and I think that that's good. I think that it's good to, so for me, I have found through, uh, I've been in recovery consistently for 12 years i have found that and at times it waxes and wanes never use been clean for 12 years but of course sometimes we're more involved sometimes we're less involved sometimes life piles up and less involved in recovery and what happens it starts to the, the ickiness starts to creep in you know some bad habits start to come back things like that and we go back into recovery more get back and okay this feels good again and it can wax and wane i think that's a pretty natural process for most of us Uh, i could be wrong maybe you three never experienced that and you're just pure in recovery constantly (laughs) i'm just wholesome Um, (laughs) (laughs) but there's also to me there's more to it than that there's more to explore here's how i look at it for me I, i use this analogy a lot when I share, when I'm asked to share in meetings, but it really works for me, this image that kind of my life is like this tree and on all the branches, there are, there could be flowers and fruits and leaves and, and all this wonderful things that come up. And that's all things that maybe a great job opportunity where I get to go serve people and my meditation group and my you know, my family and their growth, seeing my little girl yesterday take on her new big girl bike, taking on the big hill that she was so afraid to go down. And this is the time she's going to do it. She's like, I got this daddy. And she does it. These are all like wonderful things on the tree, fruits and flowers and leaves and beauty. And, and so, but at the root of the tree is my recovery. And that's, that's the roots. It's sort of, it can kind of be underground a little bit. We go to these rooms and the rooms are, 
I wouldn't say private, but not everybody in the community is going to the room, right? <laughs> it's just us going to the rooms. So, and if I don't take care of those roots, then the tree starts to starts to be affected, and everything in my life, the ground starts to be affected if if I don't take care. So, recovery for me is a real practical way to approach life. And if I don't have that practical tools and path working in my life, everything's going to suffer because I got to operate in this world. <laughs> I need to eat. I need to be responsible to whatever extent I'm responsible. <laughs> you know? And and I need to treat people a certain way. I need to not go on a spree, you know, a shooting spree. I need to not <laughs> go to jail. <laughs> not that I've done these things, but I need to not do those as well. So recovery is a real practical way to operate in life. And once we kind of have that more down, then for me, it's given me the opportunity to look deeper into things. So I do this therapy called IFS, which is internal family systems. And you mentioned a part of yourself mm -hmm. that's interested in certain forms. Um, <laughs> you said that it rung a bell. I, so I decided that I wanted to look deeper at some, some things in my life that the steps have looked at and have helped me with and have gotten me pretty much okay with dealing with. At the same time, they keep coming back up. So let's look deeper. And this IFS therapy is amazing for this. You close your eyes. Um, for me, this is how it works for me. And I go in really, really deep inside myself with the guide therapist who's also a Buddhist. And I meet these parts of myself. I literally go in there and meet them. And I see them. And I'm with them. And I work with them. And I see, I see these painful parts. And I see these protector parts. There'll be a hurt child image of myself that I need to interact with. And I need to work with this part and unburden so we can unburden together because this pain has been there since that age of whatever was happening in my life as a child. And so I'm literally interacting with this all in here. And, and there's these protector parts. I want to protect the child. And those are the parts that can like, be like a Marine part, you know, I was in the Marines. And so there's like this Marine part in there. Who's like the warrior he's going to protect and he could be aggressive. And sometimes that's really appropriate, but a lot of times it's not too, right. <laughs> you know, like in a work meeting or something like the Marines should just chill out a little bit there. Um, so working with these parts and really facing them has been so transformative for me. Then there's Zen. So that's kind of like beneath the roots in the ground for me. It's like, it's got, a, I'm using that for, to gain a little more depth into what I started with my recovery. And then below that, the infiniteness of the void and the sky and everything around everything else that's Zen to me, it, that is bottomless. It, it just, there is no, and that is infinite. So that's kind of my spiritual organization these days, the recovery my life is coming up. Recovery is the roots. I need to take care of those because if I don't take care of those, I cannot operate in this world. And then I'm looking deeper with IFS and then Zen is just infinite. So IFS is like uh, changing the nutrient makeup of the soil. It's like making your soil yeah. more fertile. I like that. I like that. It is. Because there, there are these things that can, it's the shadows yeah. that keep coming up. I found it's a good way for me to look more at the pain and be there with it and just being there with it just acknowledging it and being there 
a lot of times what happens when I am just able to be there with it, I, I kind of mentally give it a little bow, just saying I acknowledge that this pain is here right now. I'm just going to be with it. It's oftentimes, not every time, this is not a quick fix or anything, but oftentimes it subsides a lot faster. I feel like it feeds off of our aversion and our attachment. If I'm sad about something, I can play a bunch of sad songs from the 90s over and over again. I can play The Cure straight for like three days, you know, <laughs> and like embellish it, be so sad about it. Let's just make it even worse. <laughs> Is that looking at it? I don't know. That's messing with it. It's giving energy to it. Or I can spiritual bypass and just be like, well, the universe has got it. This too shall pass. So I'm just going to sit here and just do other things until it does. Or I can just be with it. And both ends of, of averting from it and attaching to it is feeding it. But just being with it, something about that is just this kind of mutual neutrality. And oftentimes it resolves a lot faster and a lot better than if I ran from it or if I embellished it. You, you make me wonder, uh, talking about IFS theory, if, you know, so you come in here I, and this is my natural. Here's another dark part of me. Let's share all the dark parts of me today. Let's do it. It's uh, good. So when you said, you know, you come in here with this idea of spiritual bypass and I'm like, yeah, that's some fucking clowns out there. Judgment instantly, right? That's some people that ain't really doing work. They just blah, blah, blah. But then you bring up IFS and I'm like, well, you know, IFS gives this idea that there's the the hurt child part that was hurt at some point in time. And then this protector piece stepped up to allow it to never have to be hurt again, right? I'm not going to let that happen again, this manager part. And then there's the firefighters, which is a whole other piece that comes in in times of crisis. But anyway, it made me think, oh, people who spiritual bypass, that's just their protective part that is not letting you have access to the hurt piece beneath it, right? That stepped up to protect them in a time when they were defenseless. And so it's less about like me judging them for being the clown that doesn't go into his dark side it's more like man how do we help you heal and and make peace with that protector and let it understand that it doesn't need to do that anymore like this is a safe space for you to move forward and and look at that dark stuff you don't have to stay stuck in the because the, the patterns we adopt as kids we needed them then right we that was the only yeah. way to survive but it's like now we need to find that safe, secure environment where we can address them because they're not producing quality outcomes anymore. They're not, they're still doing the job they were doing that isn't as useful as it used to be. Maladaptive. Yeah. But they're still good. If I'm walking down the street and somebody like mess with my kid, guess who's coming out? Right. It's, it's the Marines time to shine. You know, <laughs> protector part is here. Take over. Take me. Right. So what's behind all of those parts though? Mm -hmm. that's the thing that we need to tap into so i guess what is a little i don't know i'll say confusing for me as my understanding of recovery and i haven't done formal training outside of and everything i other than personal reading and research and some meditation stuff that i've done but don't, don't disqualify yourself Billy. yeah so, <laughs> but i've always thought like i am the whole me, like all my bad thoughts and all that, that's who I am. It's not a 
Like I never have, I just, I haven't ever phrased it in this way of there's this dark side and then there's a light side and all that. It's like, no, this is all of me. Like I am all of this. I am these bad thoughts. I am these bad ideas. I am these bad behaviors. And it's, I'll say my responsibility, my duty to recognize all of that. And then the goal for me in recovery is to like realize which situations and circumstances does this, I guess, dark side come out what triggers these parts of me and then how do i do something different in place of that but i've never looked at it as like a separate part it's just all of who i am you're ahead of the game yeah yeah Yeah, i was gonna say good job (laughs) i think that might be different for a lot of people in our society that don't necessarily have that kind of awareness but i but i also think something you said in there is where we tend to go askew and and i don't think you're doing it in, in a not helpful way, so to speak. But you were saying like, it's my job to recognize these and then do something different. But I, I find that a lot of people go as far as the recognition. But from there, it turns to shame and judgment of themselves hmm. instead of an acceptance of, oh, okay, it, it's all right to have that. It's all right to have that negative view of my coworker who was a dick. Like I, I can want to like shit in his lunchbox. That's okay to want to do that. Right. Might not be okay to do it, but they don't go that far. They're just like, oh, God, why am I like that? That's so awful of me. And then run away from it. I'm just going to be better. I'm just going to be different. And for me, it's always been just like, oh, yeah, I know I'm fucked up. (laughs) 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 So I'm curious. uh, One of the things that came to my mind, and I don't know if this is real or not. So I feel like you're the the test subject here to ask. David mentioned that the steps kind of help us in this uh, version of looking at the dark side of ourselves. And I don't feel like, again, maybe I did the steps wrong or didn't get what I hoped to get or just wasn't time to get it. I don't know. But I haven't felt that way. But one of the things that came up today, maybe the steps helped me address the old dark side of me, right? Like I was willing to go to, oh, yeah, this is what drugs made me do this is the kind of person i can be when i use drugs but not necessarily the current dark side Mm. so it was more like i'm willing to acknowledge what drugs can turn me into yeah that's a real thing but i'm not really necessarily willing to own that uh you know at different points in my recovery that i would sleep with newcomers or that i would act on these behaviors that weren't necessarily positive maybe i was really gossipy or or shitting on somebody that was supposed to be my friend or whatever it may be so what do you think about that? Do you feel like the steps really helped you get current with your dark side or it was more like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm al- I was allowed to be that then, but yeah. I'm clear now because there's no drugs. And this is interesting because I never really thought about this until you're putting it in this context. So part of the reason was I didn't get to a six and seven step until I had six years clean. So I had already been not doing drugs for a long time and then really aware or became painfully aware of all these other behaviors that were manifesting in my life without using drugs. So now I'm going to advocate for the slowness of working. (laughs) Now, I don't know that that's a great idea, but it's like that was the thing. By the time I got to a six step, I'd been clean for six years. I had a job and a career and a family and a relationship and was still doing a lot of dumb, painful shit, you know? So when I got to a six step and started looking at character defects, it wasn't about what I did 
six and seven years ago. It's about what behaviors am I doing now in my life, regardless of using drugs? You know, I'm still doing some of this dumb, selfish and self-serving and manipulative behaviors. Hmm. When I was more active in AA, it wasn't uncommon for people with five plus years to do the 12 steps again. Do they do that in NA oh, around yeah. here? Supposed to. Supposed I mean, to. you're supposed to. Keep, okay. well, supposed Depends to. on who you talk to, <laughs> but yeah, you should keep going through them. And maybe that's part of why. I never, I didn't do it twice. The first time I did it was a doozy. And um, it's after, um, I kind of segue to like a Buddhist recovery program now. Not that I'm not friends with people in AA still, but I, if I had practiced meditation before I did step four, how much calmer I would have been. you like, you were talking about sitting with stuff. Like I had no idea in step four how to sit with any of this stuff, but now I have a little bit of like sitting muscle, I guess, you know, and I probably wouldn't have like literally sweat so much doing step four, <laughs> but, um, I, I kind of wish 12 steps, maybe they could like slip in like that step 3.5. Here's how you meditate. Here's how you can sit with some of this stuff. <laughs> And then see how much better. I wonder if I did the 12 steps again. Jenny wants to reorder the steps, it sounds like. <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> I don't even yeah. think in 12 step, I feel like 11, the whole idea of prayer meditation. I feel like the meditation just gets so fucking glossed over. Yes. Definitely my experience. Yeah. It's like you must seek, you know, through prayer and meditation. And then everybody just talks about the prayer part. And yeah. they're like, oh, meditation, that's, you know, that's just when God talks to you. Whatever. I'm, like, that's I'm the opposite. I don't do the prayer part. I do mostly the meditation. <laughs> so that is a, a an issue that I do have with the current format mm-hmm. of say NA, uh, and not just me. One little old me. What, what does it matter? But many people who come to me as a Zen priest because they're not they don't connect with the. Uh, Get a God. Yeah, the, the <laughs> yeah, capital like, G God. They don't connect right. with that, and it's all over it. I, and that word is all over it, capital G God. And and I, and I respect that. A lot of people don't connect with a certain idea of that. And I think that needs to be addressed, and I think it needs to be more welcoming to our atheistic folks, to our non-Christian folks, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, great. Christian, Christianity is working for somebody wonderful. Buddhism is working for somebody wonderful. But right now it is still uh very it i know a lot of people that just really have they're new and and have like you know one foot out the door or half a foot out the door you know because they just don't that's not what they connect with it can be triggering too the capital g god i think triggers a lot of folks like because of the the trauma they experienced from that part of their family mm-hmm. well and that's a, i think one of the biggest issues at least for me to deal with in early recovery was shame and guilt and i feel like society had a lot to do with that and so did religion (laughs) right religion for me my experience and i I hope it's not everybody's but seems to be pretty prevalent it's a big place of shame and guilt inspiring feelings i mean it's all about like sinning and what we do wrong and how terrible i am and how i gotta be better and i'm like this all just makes me trying to live up to any code of anybody else's deciding has never helped me feel good about me. Not once. That's uh living up to a code. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre, the existentialist uh, philosopher, talked about how we are condemned to be free. Mm-hmm. Being free to have these choices and things can be a condemnation at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
um, it, it, it is easier for us to have rules, to have, to be told what to do, to have a code. And oftentimes people need to go find this code somewhere else. Uh, I mean, I'm finding this code, a lot of it through recovery and, and Buddhism. At the same time, what does, what code do we find? Do we find a, like a monarchy type of a code mm. where there's a lot of judgment involved? So for me as a Buddhist, judge, as soon as there's judgment involved, that's spiritual bypassing. As soon as I'm judging somebody else, I mean, I can judge a situation like, oh, this is not going to be beneficial. My house is burning <laughs> down. This is not good. <laughs> <laughs> that You know that in Buddhism, right? The ho house is burning. You don't oh, know about God, that? That's a good so you're thing. natural. Um, <laughs> it's, it's from an important sutra in, in Buddhism. Um, and it is, we, our house is, we're living in a house and it's burning around us right now. What are we going to do about it? Um, but anyway, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So, you know, we're condemned to be free and that, that, that concept really s hits me like a truck when I think about that and, and addiction, um, because it's, it, it is in many ways, I know being in addiction is really hard, but in many ways it's not, it's easier. It's easier than, than getting up every day, going to the job, putting the video game down to be with your two-year-old. They haven't given you a break for three days straight. <laughs> It's yeah. Saturday. Yesterday, my wife had to go to work, which is rare on a Saturday, but she had to go to work. I'm about to finish my graduate degree. I have infinitely more things that I need to get done than I could possibly get done. It's like that type of, and I've got my two little ones at home. Daddy, 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 daddy did you look at the window? <laughs> I'm like, did you really need to interrupt me for that one? <laughs> You're just interrupting to interrupt me right now. So, well, well, you know, all this stuff. And that's that stuff is hard because that's like I need to make myself focus to handle that situation right with my daughters and not be a dick about it and, and know that they're just being little kids and they want to be with their daddy. At the same time, I've got this monumental task that I took on. I mean, that's hard. And so it, it'd be easier to go back into active addiction. And of course, you're in a hellish landscape. But at the same time, it's easy. What do you do? You use drugs, you go get drugs, you use drugs, you go get drugs, you use drugs, you go get, it's like a religion. It's it, it, the code is there. Very simple. Sucks a lot of times, a lot of times this might be fun, feels good. Um, so that's a, that is a way for us to escape the condemnation of freedom. Freedom is more challenging. It's hard to take the high road, make the right choices. 
It really is. It really is. So do we, so we need to manufacture a code and that's what the existentialists talk about. Um, who's a Camus that said, uh, <laughs> the meaning of life is anything that keeps me from killing myself. <laughs> hmm. Like, so, like, so we're looking at the dark side now. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to manufacture a code and according to the existentialists, like every, all these codes are manufactured religion, everything is manufactured by us to, to be able to process and deal with this freedom and recovery completely helps with that. I mean, we're looking at these spiritual principles. If I follow spiritual principles, it stuff usually works out better. <laughs> Even if it doesn't, I feel good about myself because I know that I, I did my best to do the right thing. Um, so it is important. Jenny, it was interesting when you said it's hard to take the high road like that. Just why do we have to take the high road? Why does, <laughs> why does our value seem to depend on whether we took the high road or not? Right. Like, and this is one of those things that I try to do in my work is like, who would you be if what you were didn't change your value as a human, right? Because then we get that that freedom that I think Dave is talking about, right? This freedom to be whatever it is I want. And that doesn't always have to be the high road. I knew high road was like probably the wrong choice in words. <laughs> it was because it's like loaded. It's kind of like loaded. Yeah. But what I mean is like no harm to others and yourself. Like That's impossible. Is it? I think. Am so. I too dreamy? I, I think people, rightly or wrongly, if we want to use right and wrong terms that people understand, are going to be harmed by my decisions that are the best, absolute, rightest decision for me, no matter what. Oh, I can't yeah. change that. But I guess for me, a lot of times the question becomes is it okay for me to harm people? Like, is that okay? Well, you do, <laughs> whether it's okay or not. Well, what I, yeah, but there's a difference between like a direct harm is it? well, I'm just going to do what I want and not care about how it affects others. Well, what if you just do what you want and you care that it hurts them, but it's still what you need to do in that situation. You're still hurting them directly and you know it. That would hurt me though, because then I would have regret. But I mean, this is, I think this happens way more often than we realize, but it's definitely... There's even situations, I'm sure, if you think about it for a few minutes, that you can point out where you had to make a choice to do what was right for your life. Maybe that was a, a busy Saturday afternoon where you couldn't make your friend's kid's birthday party because your life just did not call for that that day. Your family needed a rest, and their feelings were hurt by it, and you knew they were going to be. It's not shit you can do about that, except overextend your own family and harm you like somebody's taken harm in them. But that's true, and I get that. But I don't think that justifies, all right, well, I'm just going to go do drugs and spend all my money on drugs, and my kids are going to starve. Like, those two aren't, you know. That's extreme. Right. <laughs> but that's what I mean. He's picking an extreme on one side, uh, and I'm going to take an extreme on the other. And the, the one on the extreme. good <laughs> side doesn't justify the one on the harm, you know, the more harmful side. Like, I don't know how to say it, but just because this situation exists doesn't mean this other situation is okay. Everything is equal and opposite. So anything you do that is quote unquote good for your life is quote unquote bad for somebody in the world. Everything you do is harming someone. I don't believe that. Just the nature of the world. I don't believe that. I do. I ate a hamburger last night. 
Yeah. Her cow. Even <laughs> your, even your choice to, <laughs> even point. your choice to run an errand. Like if you say, "Oh, after this podcast today, I, I need to go, you know, run this errand and grab some groceries or something." You are harming other people by, you know, more congestion in traffic or more people in the grocery line or maybe now they're late to get home for something they told their kid they, you know, ev- there's always a harm if we want to look at harm. In that sense, there's always a harm to every decision you make. I think it, it, but I don't it, know that they're equal. I don't, I don't know if equal is the right thing, at least for me to to ponder too much. I think that there's an effect for everything we do. Yeah, I would agree. With that. Everything is dependent on everything else, and everything I do has an effect. Um, and even those things that appear harmful to others might be really good for them. Those things that appear good for others might be harmful for them. Now you're on some, um, you know, like my, my Zen teacher, it's one of the things that it's like this double-edged sword. It's one of the reasons I'm there. And it's also causes a lot of, uh, you know, pain is part of what my understanding of the Zen teacher's job is to do is to pull the rug out of under you constantly. So if I'm feeling proud of myself, guess what? I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to get shot down in a, in a sense I'm not like insulted or anything but i'm getting knocked down off my high horse like that very skillfully um you know and if i am feeling down on myself maybe i'll get i'll get the rug pulled out of under that uh so constantly having the rug pulled out of under you is very uncomfortable very and you go and i, I went through a long phase of just struggling with that and resisting it resisting 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 and, and all the, the stuff that that brought up and insecurities and my need for validation to talk about darkness talk about something that's dark to face is a need for validation i mean because who needs the validation for me the one that needs validation is very hurt is very uh fearful and alone uh, in, in that feeling. So that's a part of me that, that needs that validation. And so to be inoculated from that, to be kind of treated for that, um, you know, has taken a lot of getting the rug pulled out of under me. And so I don't attach to that anymore. So I can have the rug pulled out of under me instead of going back and sitting on my cushion and then beating myself up over it for three, four days, 14 days or whatever. I can go sit on my cushion and, and in 10 minutes on a good day now in 10 minutes it's okay i know what we're doing here it's gone it's all right um because i sat here and i I faced it rather than trying to fix it how many harmful things in my life and and i invite you to think about this for yourself have turned out to be way better than the alternative of those things not being harmful at that moment in time right I, i harm is another concept of good and bad Right. We're putting a value judgment on it for someone else. So I, I don't know. I just I don't buy into the whole do no harm thing. I think there's harms being done no matter what I do. So the best thing I can do is just do what's right for me and then let everything else figure itself out. Right. That's a big thing, too, especially there's a concept that I, I'm very interested in. And as a Marine, too, who's had experiences and been part of a machine that is built to cause harm and hopefully for good reasons. Um, but sometimes that's questionable and, and, and people in addiction too, and some of the decisions people make 
feel like they have to make, and maybe they do have to make at the time an addiction or even medical personnel who have to make, choose between two shitty decisions and which one's the right one, but they both suck. They both suck, but one of them is better than the other one. I only have these two choices that there's something called moral injury, which can happen. And that, that is a really, I see that a lot in veterans, especially it's, it's most obvious. I feel like in veterans, um, in some medical personnel, but I also see it in recovering addicts too, because think about the things, the positions we put ourselves in, in active addiction. I mean, you hear the stories, you know, people may have sold their bodies and, and things like that, robbed people or just, just emotionally destroyed their, their family and their parents, et cetera, et cetera, the harm. Um, and, and, and some of these decisions, it's, it's like, well, um, do I, I, I can't suffer this pain right now. So how do I, how do I minimize this pain and what decision do I make? So there's moral injury involved in that because it can cause a, it causes a paradigm shift. And when you see how like shitty the world can be, especially in an active addiction. I mean, if, like, if you're an action, active addiction in Baltimore, maybe not in Baltimore, maybe Cecil County, and, and you're seeing how people can be when they are the animal self. And I'm not using that in a derogatory way. I'm using it as a Buddhist way, um, you know, filled with fear and um, this intuitive, uh, not intuitive living, but very uh, kind of primitive way of living. Um, seek, get, seek, get, seek, get, seek, get. Um, uh, that causes a paradigm shift when you see people a lot of times acting at their worst and it can make people feel like, oh, so this is what the world really is. This is what, so this is what the world is. And that can change somebody for a long time or forever, probably forever. So what do we do with that? We need to have another paradigm shift so we can encompass that knowledge and that experience but not be owned by that and not just see the world as this like terrible, frightening place filled with pain. So there's also the light side of things too. <laughs> if we're going to look at it as in a dualistic way like that, but I think that's the trick though too. And uh, before we end, I want, I'd like to do a little meditation. I don't know how much more time we have just putting that out there so we can kind of look at these things in a less dualistic way. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's fascinating. You made me think of uh, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. You know, that book explores the idea that addiction and the reason we're so, or society seems so against it is because addiction is like this dark mirror. It's a reflection of like ourselves in some way, shape or form, right? Whereas it looks a lot different on the surface. Like really, what are we doing that's different than addiction, but chasing money or fame or esteem or prestige, right? All these things. And, uh, you know, those people in addiction, it talks about being kind of brave in a way because they're like renouncing the ridiculousness and irony of the fucking stupid ass world we live in and saying, mm -hmm. I ain't doing that dumbass bullshit. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of fascinating, too, when we talk about this. I don't know if it ties into do no harm or not, but but along these lines of like, okay, did I harm my parents when I was using? Absolutely. But I did it in service of life for me. Like, I felt in a state of internal pain that would not allow me to keep going. So wouldn't that have been more harmful to take my own life? Right. And do I know that would have been the outcome without drugs? No, I can't obviously possibly know that, but I believe it would have been. 
right? I didn't feel the need to, the, the ability to exist with that type of pain inside. And so, unfortunately, I robbed from them. I stole from them. I, I robbed their peace. But that was the lesser harm in my mind in that scenario. Looking at it now, obviously, that's not what I was thinking then. Then I was thinking, I want to get high, right? And for some of this, I think it, for me, the application of the idea of do no harm almost ties in with the, what you talked about with your teacher pulling the rug out from under you. Like, there's always going to be exceptions to every rule or every situation in life. And there's obviously going to be situations where I go and cause harm intentionally or unintentionally. But when I say, like, my goal is to do no harm, it's not necessarily meant in a, like a mathematical application of I will never cause harm in any action that I ever take. It means I'm going to try to actively take responsibility for my decisions and how the decisions and the way that I interact with people in my life, how that affects those around me. Does that mean sometimes people are going to be harmed? Eh, probably, but I'm going to take ownership and responsibility and try to like be considerate in how my actions and decisions affect the world around me karma i think the tricky part of that though is like to me uh, and, and maybe i you know this could just be a personal view that's different from yours or maybe it's a uh, something else i look at that and i say well if i start taking responsibility for the way other people feel about my actions i am now putting myself in a place of either shaming myself or changing my decision-making, right? I'm going to do something different than what I truly would have done or what I truly believe I need to be doing in that moment based on this idea that someone else might take something a certain way. So I don't want to own somebody else's take on what I do, right? That starts putting me back into the the code of society or a code of morality that I don't want to be a part of. I want to be a part of my own code. I got to step up and really consider the situation and do what's right for me, regardless of how that affects people. Now, does how it affects people fit into my code some? Absolutely. I don't want to hurt people. But in the end, I'm, I can't take it on. I do, however, care. I care if they're hurt, but I'm not taking it on that, that I, you know, it's my responsibility to keep them from being harmed. Yeah. It's not my and I job. guess I flip mine back to the recovery teaching or whatever that's stuck in my brain is like, well, I can't trust my own decision making mm -hmm. consistently because I'm selfish and self-serving and all those dark parts of ourselves that we try to hide from. I'm fully aware that they are there and most of the time motivating my decisions and how I run my life. So I need to have a code there, which in this case for me becomes spiritual principles and what I've learned through the steps and trying to take those. And I need to just try to live by these principles and trust that the outcome is going to be better than the decisions that I tend to make for myself. But that's because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I don't know Dave's take on like processing through this to a healthier version of us. Uh, but I think I was kind of alluding to it earlier. It's been in allowing myself to be whatever it is I think I am in this moment and, and to seek and go for whatever it is I want or feel I need, right? It's been in allowing that to be that has helped me to be more fully what I believe I want to be, right? So it's not like the denial of... 
uh, oh, I can't do this because it'll hurt somebody. It's letting myself, well, I really don't want to hurt them, but this is what I feel like I really need to do here. And after that, then I get to evaluate in my body. Is that really who, who it feels like I am? Did that work for me? Do I want to do that next time or no? Right. Was that the right, but it's, it's always been the, I can't that has kept Mm. me running from those pieces of me. It's like, I got to allow myself. And once I allow me now, I'm actually choosing the part that I want instead of just canting myself. Yeah. I I, I had a previous sponsor that talked very much like that. Exactly what you're saying is what he, I worked with him on exactly that, which is interesting. That's kind of exactly the way that he said it too. What's your take, Dave? What do you think about the, how do you, do you deny yourself, so to speak? Uh, I mean, I get deny myself. Well, kind of like what me and Billy were just reflecting on, like, how do you get through to that dark side or being healthier? What works for you? What, first off, I want to respond a little bit. What I'm hearing a lot of is, you know, some karma, which karma means action. Karma is not this judgmental force. Uh, that's a Western take on it because Western mind has, you know, adapted to due to Western religions of having this uh, monarchy of judgment. So if I do something bad, some judge will up there, up there will make <laughs> some bad thing happen to me. And I don't subscribe to that. Um, karma just means action. And what I, what I'm, what I appreciate about how ideas in Eastern uh, philosophy and religion and, um, Western psychology and their program, uh, and a 12 step program line up is especially with step three. So step three, what I learned from step three is that I, I make the best decision I can, and then I leave it alone and I stop trying to control the outcome. Uh, I, th- I believe that's a, a big part of, uh, working with karma in Hinduism too, is not being so concerned about the, what happens the results of my action, just making the best decision I can make right now and, and letting go of what happens with it. So, and that's what I was hearing a lot with what you guys were saying as well, especially if I've got to pull the rug out of somebody, you've got a sponsee, you know, sometimes my sponsor tells me some hard shit and, you know, like I want to react, but I know that I, I put my trust in this man. Um, I put a great deal of trust in I trust him with my life and I better just kind of shut up and be with that shitty feeling in my gut and my jaw all tensed up and just like, like, Oh, why am I not right all the time <laughs> and trust? And, and that it, it feels harmful, but in the long run, it's not in the long run. It's helpful. So how do I work with what, how do you work with the idea of, uh, becoming your healthier self or, or growth or like, do you tend to feel that you're supposed to, or have to be a certain way in any given situation or do you, that is a, a good thing to bring up. <laughs> so you can see me pausing this because this is, I think this is a huge moving target and I think that it's always moving for me and I dare say us as people. Um, I think that it's, it's a balance. And as soon as I think I found balance, then the thing, things change. And then I've got to rebalance and I'm re constantly rebalancing. And I know I'm out of balance when there's starts to be some pain involved. Um, there starts to be some things that aren't going right and, oh, okay, well maybe I'm exercising too much and not taking care 
I'm not taking the trash out enough. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm doing this thing that's really good for me, but I'm do I, did I really need to lift weights for two and a half hours today? I could have like shaved off like 45 minutes of that and gone and like helped out in other ways. You know, that's just a real basic example, but it's really important too. So how do I work with that? So for one thing, realizing that everything is always changing except for one thing. And that, that is this inner self This we call it in IFS. We call it self energy. You go by many names. Um, it could be emptiness. Uh, it could be a lot. It goes by many different names. True self, wiser self. Yeah. yeah. But it's this, it's this self that is not changing so much. Uh, some people say it doesn't change. I'm not sure about that, but it has, it, it hasn't changed as long as I can remember. Um, it's all the other things that are constantly changing and realizing that and realizing the impermanence of everything except for that oneself who may be impermanent, but it seems to be going on for a while here. Um, and that's that, that self that you can really observe from. It doesn't have any um, hangups. It doesn't have any good. It doesn't have any bad. It, it's the one that when you're really clear you can take a step back from all this dualistic stuff and just see it for what it is, is something that is transient and is not going to, it's not going to be here. It doesn't have to own me. Another thing that I, I try to do, and I like this, I like stories. I like analogies and things, um, is to try to check myself with spiritual bypassing aspect. Uh, you can look at it like this. You can maybe climb a mountain, do this work, and get to the top of the mountain, whether it's finishing your step work or even just finishing a step or whatever it is with you, whether you're working on, finish, get to a mountain, maybe it's a year clean, for whatever. We have these mountaintops and you get there, and it feels so good when you earned it, right? It just feels good. It feels solid. Like, I earned this. This is great. And when you get there, you may notice that, Oh, I'm at the top of this, but oh, there's another peak there and it's a lot taller. Mm -hmm. If I really look past the clouds, there's even another one there. You know what? I'm just going to hang out here. I'm going to not face that. I'm going to turn my back to that. I'm just going to sit on top of this peak and start giving a bunch of advice, start, you know, just sharing in meetings a bunch and start acting like a spiritual giant and, and all these things by repeating cliches, um, by not really looking at the shit, the darkness. Shots fired. Talking about me. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking in your direction. <laughs> but maybe I am. He was looking right at you. Um, <laughs> looking through me. Dead eye. <laughs> so, but one thing I've got to realize when I'm at this mountaintop is I can, you know, look. I got to go down again first. I got to go down into the shit and I got to climb a higher one. And so it's good to take a little break once you reach mm -hmm. a, an accomplishment just for a minute, you know, take a breath, but keep going. And that's the thing. That's it's spiritual bypassing to stop there. And, and you can also spiritual bypass by taking a helicopter to the top, right? I could take a helicopter to the top of a peak by just giving one word answers to a whole step. You know, some people do that and I'm like, oh, okay, how's this working for you? Unless you're one. Unless your one sentence answer is just so profound, it, like the earth moves. <laughs> um, <laughs> wonderful. Then, I'd like to see know. that. Thank you. You must have read my step work. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Buddha touching the ground and the earth shakes. <laughs> um, 
so you could take a helicopter to the top and then you don't even have that sense of accomplishment so i think that's the thing is being willing to go back down into those valleys and and go climb up and one of the beautiful things about service to others whether it's through sponsorship teaching hosting say a meditation group helping people out is you know voices of hope i mean this is all service of others um is uh, to really do that i believe we've got to we've got to really connect to our darkness to these to these difficult parts if we don't connect to that what we're doing is we're coming from a place of being kind of patronizing we're coming from the top saying come on i'll get you up here i'll help you get up here and that's not effective that's not because that is that's not compassion that is being patronizing so we need to connect with we need to go down because we can only help people by by helping them from the bottom up by getting down there and with them and that's what i love about na um specifically is that i think we do for the most part a nice job of connecting to our own shit and getting down there with somebody and be like i understand I too have been in that hell. Maybe some of your details are different, but oh boy, do I know that ravenous, just, just, just apocalyptic pain. I know that apocalyptic pain. I do completely. That yeah. utter, just every cell in your body, right? And it doesn't just have to be a physical pain from a withdrawal, even though that's bad. It, just the 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 harm that we've caused the way you find yourself in being at the bottom like that and working to get out of that you've got to remember to be able to go back down to that and that's where we help other people it's from down there we help other people from beneath them we don't help other people from above it's a little graphic i guess but i can remember uh sometimes particularly towards the end of my using really being just desperate right and 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 the the uh if you're not a person who's used heroin like it can gel up sometimes and harden and it doesn't want to like work right uh, to go into your body and and like having struggling to find a vein that i can actually hit where where blood comes back i'm not trying to make any anyway a lot of poke holes there's blood all over my arm and i'm like fucking crying i'm literally in tears trying to make this work and it never felt like just oh i need to go get another one because this is this one isn't working it was more like what you just talked about that that immense pain it was like every shameful act i'd ever done and every way i ever thought about myself as a piece of shit was like hitting me at once because i didn't have the medicine that i used to to avoid it right and so it was like i'd been avoiding it for years and it was all stockpiled there and it just like came through like a dagger in that fucking moment that this too shall pass. Uh, yeah, yeah, Just give yeah. it over. <laughs> Turn fine. it over. Give It'll it to good. your higher power. Right. And you're, you're done. You're okay now. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. It's all good. No, that's not it. <laughs> What's it is I, I meet you and say, I understand that pain right. through experience. Yeah. And here's how I got out of it. Uh, I'm going to share you with you my experience, lived experience. And that's one of the things that Zen and recovery go so nicely together for me is they're both about direct experience um, and, and the value of that. If I go into Zen and I use a bunch of words, I get <laughs> I get cut down. You might as well have a sword. Just cut my legs off out in front of me. Now I'm just laying there. <laughs> you know, a bunch of words are not going to fly. Direct experience. And what does that mean? 
Well, it seems like that's a good benefit of acknowledging or awareness of this dark side of ourselves is we can use that as a tool or as a power to like help others and, and connect with other human beings. <laughs> I had a, I got an audio book cause it was free and it was about, I don't know if it was Zen in recovery or Buddhism in recovery. I think it might've been Buddhism in recovery, but I'm listening to it. And, and the guy who's reading it was not the author and I didn't like his voice anyway, which was bad enough, but he kept calling it the Sangha. And I was like, have I been mispronouncing this forever? <laughs> and then come to find out, like, you know, through some research, I was like, how the fuck do you sign up to read an audiobook and not look into how the words are pronounced? Of what you read? It was yeah. maybe that's like the Midwestern pronunciation. Uh, it's like, what? Yeah, I, think... <laughs> I know. That, that might be a legitimate judgment. Right there. <laughs> like, you sign up to do a job, let's do your job. Right. right. Uh, I came up with a Cohen the other day. I, I'm sure somebody's came up with it before, but it, it was fascinating to me that it, like, I don't want to say I came up with it. It came to me. I'll say that. So I always think a lot of times when I'm meditating, you know, meditate with what's going on. And one of the first implications of that for me was, don't scratch the itch, right? Sit with the itch. And so the other day I was sitting there and I was like, what is the feeling of my skin that doesn't itch? And it just blew my mind. It was, <laughs> it was all. Then what happened? I just sat there with trying to figure out what the fuck that was, which is nothing, which is exactly what I'm supposed to be we meditating. Last night, the itch with my, my daughter, my seven-year-old, she's in the meditating with daddy. And she'd been rolling around the grass earlier that day. She's oh. all itchy. I'm so itchy. <laughs> Like, you know, but it's an important practice to sit there with it. And it's a great practice. It's such a foundational, just clear cut practice is to not scratch the itch. Because the more I sit there in meditation and try to like find ways to like move myself to like, you know, to get rid of it, the more I try to, like, okay, I'm just going to ignore it. Okay. If I just take it deep enough, you know, whatever, maybe my shirt will. <laughs> like yeah. that, you know, <laughs> it gets so much worse. It gets so much, and that's exactly like so many things in life. But if I just sit there and if I'm with that itch, and I just focus all my attention on it, not to change it, I just like last night I was with my daughter, we were in in a bedroom meditating, and I was just told her, uh, just make that itch your whole body. Your whole body is that itch. Now that itch is even bigger than your body. That itch is the size of this room. Now it's even bigger than that. it's the size of our yard. Just everything is this itch. And she's like, well, daddy, it's gone now. And I was like, good, good. That's what I was hoping was going to happen. <laughs> a lot of times if you just give it all your energy, just not to change it, it, it just. And that's kind of being with the stuff. And I don't mean give it all the, like you should go give all your pain, all the energy in the world, but you should really give it the attention it deserves. Full attention and then let it go. And then full attention and then let it go. Work it out. Or maybe not let it go. Full attention until you've worked through the process. So I, I'm always uh, still, even at my place in the world, there's still a piece of me that wants to compete or compare, right? Like I still recognize that. And it just came up. You were talking about the itch. And like, look, 95% of my itches go away while I meditate before I finish, right? But every once in a while, there's one that after I finish meditating, I just got to scratch it. Like it never went away Hell completely. Yeah. Okay, I was just checking. I was like, is Dave better than me? <laughs> but, but all that, your itches always go away. I'm going to scratch an itch the rest of my up life. Because that's the, that, I don't want to say the insanity, but that's that piece of me still. That's still there. That dark <laughs> so side piece. what is piece. that piece? That's the piece that wants to be enough still. It's still lurking. 
So, right. And you know, that piece to me lately has seemed like this. Do you, do you remember? I don't know who ever. I think everybody here might be old enough. The old cartoons where they had uh, the you could buy from Acme a hole. <laughs> like a oh, hole. you could oh, lay on the yeah, ground yeah. and like make somebody fall into oh, it. You could literally buy a hole. It's <laughs> like I love that. Like, <laughs> so, it makes me think of, of so like that com- competition thing is part of that. Like I think that we carry this hole around with us, mm-hmm. and because you hear about people say I'm, I'm empty and I'm trying to fill it, and that's part of my addiction and you know the competitive there's this validation i'm carrying this hole like i'm chained to this hole somehow or i believe i'm chained to this hole and i'm trying to fill it and if i could just fill it and sometimes it feels like it's filled enough say if somebody's using and they get a root some really good shit and they feel great for a few hours and they feel like the hole is filled um but then it's empty again and so i'm trying to fill this hole trying to fill this hole try to fill this hole and i, I think that's Learning to meditate and learning to see the whole for what it is is not a problem. Just as, just as it's okay, it's okay to actually realize that I am the whole, and I don't need to be filled. There's no reason for me to fill this hole. There's nothing wrong with emptiness. In fact, emptiness is the fundamental nature of me. Therefore, why am I going to try to change that? But we are obsessed with this trying to change that. That obsession is where i don't know what percentage maybe most maybe all (laughs) the suffering comes from so much suffering comes from trying to change that just be empty be the whole that's a beautiful place to be jump in that shit what happens if you go in there (laughs) you know maybe it's cool in there (laughs) maybe it's rad i don't know but instead of trying to like lug this thing around like it's a it's a problem who is lugging it around who is trying to change it that's not even you. I mean, it's part of you. Like I think Billy was saying, all these are parts of me. It's not good or bad. It's parts of me. Right. But who, who's the me that all these are parts of? There's a, a real world application where they sell holes too, but it's generally illegal outside of Nevada. <laughs> 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 yes. So we, uh, yeah, that's a great place to end uh, on that terrible <laughs> good, good. punny joke. Uh, you want to do a meditation? Sure, we can just do a quick one. So anybody who is driving or working or, you know, around heavy machinery, you, you pause this and come back to it later when you're sitting quietly in a safe environment uh, and then proceed. Yeah, this is just to be a real quick little way to, to do. We'll see. I won't explain it. Let's do it. Good. So always starts with breathing, you know, nice deep breath from our belly. When I breathe in, belly comes out. When I breathe out, the belly goes in. Which is often different than the way we're breathing throughout the day. When we get tense, we often reverse that. So, take just a couple breaths to breathe from your belly. It's helpful to put feet flat on the floor. What we're doing is we're, we're, I'm not going to go through every part like a mindfulness exercise. I think, I think I did that last talk. What we're doing is we're observing our body, observing our breath, and listening to the sounds around us, just observing all of these things. Observe with your ears, observe with your eyes, observe 
mostly with your mind. Notice what it feels like to have legs, have feet inside of shoes or not inside of shoes. Notice the air on your skin. Try not to put any judgment on hot, cold. If you have an itch, just notice it. It's okay. Make sure we're noticing our breath coming in and out of our nose and or mouth, whatever is more comfortable for you. Okay, so now <clears throat> with this place of observation we're coming from, close your eyes if they're not closed already. Please don't do this if you're driving. It's bad to drive with your eyes closed. Focus your attention on your eyelids. Really look at that field behind your eyelids. Now, before a bunch of thoughts start to come in and distract us, notice what's behind your eyelids. Light, dark. One thing I think you'll notice, though, is the little specks of darkness and light. Infinite specks of darkness and light that are moving, coming into existence, popping out of existence. Maybe they are grouping together at times to form almost a living thing and then they dissipate. But really notice how they are all changing. None of those little specks of light or darkness are just static and staying there. They are constantly moving, constantly changing, constantly coming in and out of existence. Notice the empty self that is not changing, that is observing this. You can look at all these specs as the different moments of time throughout the day. The things that come into existence. A breath that comes in and goes. A sandwich that's now eaten and gone. A breeze. Words, somebody said, this show, our bodies constantly changing, our cells are being born and dying, everything, our thoughts, little thought comes in and it goes. Everything is changing constantly, but there's one thing that seems constant throughout this. Who is that? Is that the hole that we were describing? Maybe you're the hole right now. Empty. Attached to nothing. 
just observing. Okay, so when you're ready, you can take a breath or not. Come back to the room. That's why we do it at the end. <laughs> I have that song. He's got the whole world in his hands in my head now. <laughs> okay. It's a different whole. It's a double. I was going to say. I, that's yeah, a, well, I was thinking maybe he's got like the world of people who are holes in his hands <laughs> instead. That's a beautiful sight. Love that. Just be the whole. <laughs> I know your mind's going places now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, go out there. Uh, explore the dark side. Don't be afraid of the Emperor or Darth Vader. Um, and just see what you make of it and share your thoughts with us about what you do and how you grow through this dark and light idea. And we'll see you next week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.